Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's the wonky show. The minister is intervening. Students look for meaning. Should universities be convening? And a very misjudged photo opportunity. It's all coming up. My my advice perhaps to a VC would be would be that that's still the right way to go. Um, and you just have to kind of suck up the inevitable um, vitriol and diatribes that will come your way, no doubt, from the, you know an internet uh, fan base of a controversial <laughs> uh, academic. So that you just got to suck that up, really. I think. To the Wonky Show, your direct way into higher education, policy, people, and politics. I'm Rachel Firth, and here to march to the top of the hill of higher education policy, as usual, we have three excellent guests. South of the river, we have David Morris, the Vice Chancellor's Policy Officer at the University of Greenwich. David, your highlight of the week, please. Hi, Rachel. Uh, my highlight of the week, I think, is doing this podcast, if I'm honest. And in London, we have Rebecca Law, who is a research fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Rebecca, what's your highlight of the week, please? Hi, Rachel. Great to be uh, on the podcast. Uh, to be honest, I'm kind of struggling to see beyond Brexit, but if I had to look within the world of higher education policy, then... I guess the ongoing US college admission scandal has been quite gripping. That has been fascinating, actually. That has been. I had something to say about that. And it was it Ice Cube that uh, said my children got into um, um, uh, university just fine and then they discovered that they g- he gave them like $75 million like three years ago. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> and, and live from Wonky HQ, we have Wonky CEO and Editor-in-Chief Mark Leach. Mark, what is your highlight of the week, please? Rachel, my highlight was obviously the Secret Life of Students, uh, one of our biggest ever events we held on Monday. Um, 400 guests, um, fantastic speakers, such energy in the room. Um, I basically want to do it all over again. Oh, well, we've arranged that as a surprise next week for you, Mark. So that's uh... (laughs) (laughs) Right. This week, we start with the intervention from the minister. We had the education secretary, Damien Hines, via a DfE press release, saying that the sector needs to take action on grade inflation. So, Mark, what do you make of this intervention? Yeah, so grade inflation has been a bit of a pet issue of um, the last last set of HE ministers, something that kicked off by um, Joe Johnson particularly. Um, so more students are getting good degrees, this this we know. Um, but what, what ministers of different stripes have been doing is, um, I guess, trying to turn this into a bit of a moral panic issue. Um, it plays pretty nicely to the um, students of snowflakes, never had it so good, kind of intergener- intergenerational warfare kind of agendas that the that, that right-wing press like to pick up on. Um, and for anyone that works in the sector, it, it, it always seems really odd because it, it's, it's kind of all part of that, you know, that kind of ma- massive sideshow. Um where you know if you if you work in universities people will tell you that um um there isn't anywhere close to close to a problem that um that Heinz and his colleagues think there are so he's saying that um from later this year essentially RFS is going to start fining universities um that um are awarding too many um first class degrees in his view 
Um, it's a bit problematic in many ways. First of all, grain inflation isn't necessarily a bad thing. So if attainment gaps have closed, so basically between men and women or affluent deprived students, widened ethnic minority students, by the underachieving group catching up with the higher achieving group, grain inflation is actually a really good thing, something, something that's quite desirable. Um, and in, in most subjects, students achieving first class degrees um, don't get better career outcomes than students with, with lower second class degrees. Um, employers are much more savvy than the government thinks. They know how to um, choose students based on um, a range of things. A degree is just a signal. So it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it does stoke the fires a little bit. Um, and as I say, feels like a little bit of a sideshow. One other interesting political point is that um, Damien Hines uh, put out this release. It seems like he's taking the role of kind of university botherer. Um, this was previously Sam Jima um, and Joe Johnson as, as HE ministers. Chris Skidmore, the new HE minister, appears to be hanging back from these kind of things, um, playing the kind of good cop to his boss's bad cop, who, as I say, is now the, kind of the one leading these university bashing interventions. So I thought that's quite interesting as well this week. I think it's, I mean, we could speculate on the sort of Kremlinology of the, of the DFE, um, certainly speaking to colleagues who are sort of tapped into that, it does seem that with the departure of Sam Jima, the entry of Chris Skidmore and sort of various other manoeuvrings in the department, that might have something to do with this. Um, there's probably also just a raw political aspect to it. I imagine, I imagine this kind of plays quite well with a certain part of the Tory base and might appeal to a certain aspect of kind of uh, Conservative Party politics by sort of uh, criticizing the sector for grade inflation. Um, you know, this was seems to me, I mean, it was kind of odd timing given everything else that's going on in the political world at the moment. It seems to me like a, a desperate, or not so desperate, but an attempt to grab the airwaves on a Sunday morning uh, about something that isn't Brexit. Um, the the real question to me seems to be whether the government and the OFS's bite will be as as big as their bark. I haven't seen any real indication that it will yet. Um, and perhaps this kind of clouds a more fundamental conversation that needs to be had about what the long term approach from OFS to um, quality assurance and standards assurance will actually be. Um, we still don't know a huge amount about how that's going to operate, particularly in respect of um, assuring absolute standards. Um, and that's a conversation the sector needs to have with the regulator over the next year. Um, I just want to clarify, um, in the opening, it was Dr. Dre that made the donation, not Ice Cube. I <laughs> that very clear. I, ironically, I did forget about Dr. Dre in that instance. Um, but uh, Rebecca, what is, um, what is your take on this one? On the minister's intervention. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. It's quite a lot of what's already been said, particularly the point about raw politics um, and also the point about a lack of focus on absolute standards. Uh, to my mind, I think it's quite ironic that this kind of scapegoating or this sort of easy criticism in a certain kind of a way, it's quite ironic when I think the whole kind of focus on the first comes from a kind of intervention, which has been a sort of ongoing instances of politicians trying to sort of drive some kind of sense of equality and a sense of identicality and completely misunderstanding all of the differences in the system, trying to sort of square all institutions and students as the same, which leads to perverse incentives, unrealistic expectations. So, yeah, I think it's all a bit of a kind of circular mess, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely, like, you know, we just... The, the circular mess description is right on. Like you know, there there are issues and not necessarily problems, but there are er there there are ways of thinking about grading and standards which 
people in the sector and outside the sector disagree on, you know, about uh, the current kind of classification system of first, seconds, thirds, about um, the way in which standards are assured, in which the way uh, in which standards might be comparable between autonomous institutions. Those are all those are all outstanding and frankly ambiguous questions that um, a famous um, what was then a Dias Select Committee picked up on, I think, back in 2009, which haven't been really resolved, and the sector's kind of happy to live with the ambigu ambiguity of that. There's a the further question of, you know, the inclusion of uh, numbers of good honours degrees in uh, used in league tables. But, you know, these are all contentious, debatable issues, but we're not really having the, the, the debate about those. We're just having a debate about the this sort of unusual term grade inflation. It's just it's just quite tiresome. <laughs> Mm. That was at the select committee where the, the then uh, chief exec of the Quality Assurance Agency was asked whether um, a degree from Oxford Brooks, or a first from Oxford Brooks is worth the same as a first from, from Oxford. So I'll, I'll correct you, it was the vice-chancellors. It was, it was um, uh, the vice-chancellor of Oxford and the vice-chancellor of Oxford Brooks, who at the time was uh, Janet Beer, of course. And, and they, said, they said no? Yes. Well, they gave a very ambiguous... <laughs> sort of fudge answer mm. um which suggests but that reflects the sort of sectors the sectors are fudge yeah fudge exactly we, we, we do every day which exactly is, and yeah and you know the, if the the sector is large now uh, the what grade a student gets coming out of university massive matters massively for the future for their future far more then it, you, you know it used to be okay that you could have a fudge like this because having a degree of any grade was frankly perhaps enough that's no longer the case and therefore we need clarity on this um but neither the sector's own happiness to kind of muddle on nor the government shouting about grade inflation is frankly very helpful <laughs> i do worry that it also that this sort of conversation around value in the sense of getting a university degree really does seem increasingly reductive to what job somebody's expected to get or the likelihood of a salary. I find this really quite depressing. And I feel as if there's very little, at least formal discussion about the intrinsic value of university education. And I think I've just worried that that can lead towards the kinds of people from certain socioeconomic backgrounds that have been increasingly going to university, perhaps being put off from studying the kinds of subjects, which otherwise they're going to have little access to. Um, sorry, not to be depressing into yeah. Again, but <laughs> the debate, the, the, the debate also um, it could lead to kind of weird behaviour among students. Um, uh, someone, someone wrote on Monkey recently, uh, the, the cure would be worse than the disease, essentially. So, so the cure could take the form of students undermining each other rather than working collaboratively because they're trying to manipulate or um, complain against lecturers. Um, if they're motivated by mark gain rather than a desire to learn. Um, that's not going to do much for um, the well-documented student mental health crisis um, and all the rest. So I think that um, I understand the, the the political needs to to, to stoke the fires and, and and the raw political nature of all that, but actually the ultimate effect could be could be quite pernicious. Okay, okay. Let's see who's been blogging for us this week. My name's Kath Brown, and I'm president of the Open University Students Association. My blog is about the secret lives of that most mysterious sector, distance learning students. The distance learners and commuter students are growing trend throughout HE. Understanding the realities for students like ours must be a priority across the sector. We're talking time-poor career changes, carers fitting in studies in a few free minutes, students with disabilities, students without the normal post-16 qualifications. They're time poor, they tend to be isolated, and they may be anxious about prospects and facing a lack of understanding or support from family and friends. 
It can require nigh on superhuman determination to persist and succeed in these circumstances. So what can HEIs do to help? Structural changes to enhance flexibility are necessary, but they're not sufficient. People are what make the difference. Distance learners in particular need someone who knows about them and their studies, who's looking out for them and quite simply cares. The student community is vital too. Students' unions must make efforts to include distance learners so they can access that key peer support, encouragement and informal advice. And as so often, meaningful student voice is at the heart of getting this right. Next up, research on student experience undertaken in collaboration by Wonky and Trendance. The research shows some troubling headline stats, especially on student loneliness. So, Rebecca, can you tell us more on this one, please? Yeah, I thought this is um, this is very interesting. So, uh, this is a study. You know, what concerns you the most, particularly, is this headline chart uh, about concerning students the most on a day to day basic university. Uh, my my sort of initial thoughts were, well, it is. It is a, it's a negative approach. That's not a, not a criticism. I just mean in terms of it is looking to see what the the things that people struggle with. I mean, it's a it's a very it's a very admirable thing to do. But just, I suppose just just to point that out, and people are choosing from you know, set options given. Uh, the first couple uh, at, the, at the top, you know, sort of fifty five percent of people they had to choose up to three of these. Fifty five percent of people are concerned with coping with their course. Forty eight percent or forty nine percent almost uh, with making the most of the time at university. Uh, I think those things are those things are understandable and those things are actually quite good. It shows that people are taking their studies seriously. And I, 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 without sounding too meta, I am concerned that obviously concern can mean more than one thing. It can mean an appropriate amount of worry and it can mean an excessive amount of worry. So I'd be interested to kind of delve deeper into that. It's quite hard to determine, I think, with a with a with a blunt question. So I, I was glad that those things came out top. But then obviously I, I completely agree. Then third on the list. Uh, we see uh, concerns about mental health, including stress and anxiety. Um, and as you say, I mean, this is a this is sadly an ongoing trend. I've read a lot of the excellent pieces you've had on on Ron Wonky uh, looking into this. And I think it's very very important the work you're doing there. Um, and again, I'd, I'd point out that this is also a, a general a general point, not just uh, not just for students. And uh, hopefully, the kind of ongoing at least attempts to gain some kind of parity in terms of taking um, physical and mental health seriously. Hopefully, that's something. Uh, which you know the university sector can help to to help to um to to really to really get to the heart of. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I sadly I I'm not I suppose I wasn't massively surprised to read some of these things. Um, I would be interested to see uh, deeper into the kind of cross tabs and look at you know some of the some of the trends. Although obviously uh, sometimes those that cross tab data uh, isn't as hasn't revealed as much as it would if if we were looking specifically at at um, at studies of particular sets of people so I suppose that might be a, a way forward to looking looking further but yeah it's very very sort of human responses uh, some of the qualitative stuff in the in the research as well um, and that said I mean again it's a point about remembering differences within as well as between and you know the kinds of things people would be concerned about at any stage of life but yeah I mean university can be a, can be a stressful and it can be a new time particularly for people who aren't as well um, you know, sort of experienced of that kind of that kind of uh, Oh, it was really, really interesting and something um, really quite different um, to the, I mean, students must be one of the most uh, surveyed segments of the popu- of the UK population. Um, but uh, this was really added something new to the mix, which was quite interesting. My first, the first thing that sort of came to mind is that, you know, is there any way that we can understand how this compares with the wider population? Um, and perhaps how it compares with within uh, different segments of the sector, different parts of the sector. I know the, uh, the, the researchers kind of looked at demographics, particularly uh, 
um, sort of worse figures regarding loneliness for disabled students and uh, black and minority ethnic students and international students um, and also students living at home um, but it'd be interesting to see you know that it, the question of loneliness has become a salient political issue um, and the government has published a, a, a loneliness strategy um, yeah, just last year I think it was and you know there's particularly increased concern about loneliness among uh, elderly people um, but this might be interesting to highlight how it might also affect younger people and be interesting to perhaps also compare with younger people who don't enter higher education. Yes. ONS did an interesting study of this and it's one of the reasons why we decided to drill down on, on kind of students and universities in, in the research because they found 9.8% uh, of young people said they were often lonely. Um, we thought that was interesting and wanted to test that against um, essentially university life. That is really interesting. So a greater proportion of students in higher education then then the general young young population is very interesting um and it's interesting to try and pick apart where that might come from and what part of the university experience might could, could be causal of that i mean it's difficult to it's difficult to put a put a pin on it i mean one might be that one's sort of perception of your own kind of isolation or loneliness is defined in part by what you see of your peers around it and we because we traditionally think of university as a hyper socialized experience and certainly for i mean speaking personally for me university was a hyper social experience um that if you're not part of that um but you see it then you're far more likely to consider yourself perhaps um lonely or isolated than perhaps those who might have a considerable uh, a comparable level of social isolation but aren't in an environment where there's an expect almost an expectation of being quite social or integrated or part of uh, you know club societies etc yeah, I, I remember i'm vividly being in my first year in in halls and being kind of sat at my desk and, and kind of hearing people partying elsewhere on campus in adjacent rooms and outside and for whatever reason you know wasn't wasn't out wasn't wasn't out partying at that point at that that night and having you know tremendous kind of feeling of fomo and and isolation and you know i'm i'm meant to, what's going on here i'm 19 years old i'm meant to be out having you know out, out in the party and for whatever reason you know i don't have any social plans so i'm obviously you know obviously doing it wrong as, as you say there's a kind of expectation uh, expectation gap there it's also sometimes a point about i mean i imagine somebody who is out partying also could feel lonely and some of the things i thought were quite interesting um, were some of these points about things which are clearly kind of external. So, you know, it's probably less surprising in, in some sense of loneliness that international EU students might feel lonely in a sense of maybe feeling out away from their home. Um, whereas obviously there are also more kind of internal senses of loneliness in the sense of maybe feeling unsure about your direction in life. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, found it, I found it really, really interesting research. Right, let's hear from some more people who have written for Wonky this week. Hi, I'm Jenny Shaw from Unite Students. I've been blogging this week and my blog's based on a sneak peek of a bit of qualitative research with applicants and students that we commissioned recently from YouthSite. So in the blog, I delve behind three student stereotypes, the snowflake, the activist and the careerist. And as you might imagine, the truth's a lot more complex and it's a lot more interesting too. So I've revealed some opportunities to improve the student experience based on how students describe themselves and their experiences. And to find out more, you need to head over to wonky.com to read the full piece. Bye. 
Next, a report this week from KPMG addressed the idea of future-proofing universities, which included how institutions could collaborate or possibly merge to best meet demand. So, David, what did you make of this report? Thanks, Rachel. So, it's a it's an interesting document, um, and I think it's starting from a a place of concern that I think particularly perhaps um, university governors might be having, which is um, we expect significant change in the sector over the coming years, in policy, in um, kind of student demand, in the flux created by um, the free market in undergraduate admissions. And so um, for a number of university governors, I imagine the question on their minds is, okay, how can we become less vulnerable to some of the kind of slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that kind of um, that can kind of flicked us from those from those changes that are outside of our control um, the the answer or the that the report suggests is um, that you know more sustainable or robust business models might involve greater collaboration both with other universities other education institutions and with um what the report refers to as uh the downstream value chain the upstream value chain it's not it's not very sector language that to be honest um uh but you know upstream would be you know employers businesses um etc downstream would be uh schools international pathways etc um and it's effectively a sort of diversification of uh business for want of a better term argument um uh, as well as an argument about collaboration, it cites examples such as um, University Campus in Albans, which is a joint venture between the University of Hertfordshire and Oakland's College, um, uh, the new Dyson Institute of Engineering and Technology, um, the King's College London Service Centre in Cornwall, which is uh, it was something I'd never heard about actually. Um, so, you know, in that sense, it's kind of interesting. Um, there's there's some odd choices of language of modern report the uh, fixing the roof while the sun is shining in particular um, is a, is a headline used um i think uh there probably was an opportunity to fix the roof while the sun was shining i imagine that that period is coming to an end with the looming publication of the auger review and we might as a sector will have missed the boat on that one it, it, sort of collaboration as an organizing principle i think is nice but and and is in some contrast to the government's kind of stated theory of change through competition um but it, it, i think the, the report recognizes the sort of opportunity costs that come with that but for, for rightly or wrongly it's incredibly difficult in universities i've got a number of colleagues at greenwich who spent quite some time at various university of london institutions and there were various efforts to try and share services and collaborate on you know library provision estates provision or whatever in the mid-2000s and, they, and they, these are institutions located within a couple of blocks of each other and they they all failed and proved completely intractable from what I understand. So I think it slightly under understates those barriers to change and collaboration. I mean I think there's there's obviously a, a kind of broad spectrum of, of activity that can come under this 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 word collaboration. Um I think you're absolutely right that you know the the kind of fixing the roof and the, the summer shining, you know, that that that's that, that's an area that is that's gone completely. You've got um significant bunch of universities in significant financial difficulty at the moment and um where they're going to be and already are looking at ways 
of working their way out of that. And, and one of the obvious things to do is to think about how you can save money by collaborating with um, with other partners in the sector. There's already been plenty of discussions in the sector about mergers um, over the last few years, and it's absolutely not coming from a place of strength. It's coming from um, you know a place of responding to the you know the, the kind of the ravages of the market um, and the fear of um, you know how how those already struggling institutions are going to cope with a lower unit of resource, um, less funding, uh, potentially less from um, international, and um, you can't make quick decisions. Though I mean, as, as you as you also pointed out, David, this is this is probably mostly targeted at university boards of governors to try and get them to um, have these bigger conversations, um, but uh, the nature of university means that that, that it's going to always be incredibly difficult. Um, and slow to put together the sorts of bold collaborations that might be needed, arguably, um, to, to kind of weather against some of these some of those pressures that I'm talking about. Um, I was in Australia last year, and you know the institutions there are massive and dwarf most of UK universities. You know, in, in Melbourne alone, you've got you've got more than one university with pushing hundred thousand students, and um, you know the the kind of the borrowing and buying power of, of the organisations. Um, uh, given their scale, means that they're they're able to um, they're able to protect themselves against fluctuations in student demand. Um, they're also able to get you know significant uh, significant efficiencies when it comes to administration and, and back office and all of that. I mean, you look at the amount of towns and cities we have across the UK. If you were to design HE system, if you just or, or put it this way, design a system of tertiary education, but the right courses being delivered in the um, for the right uh, the, the right people and delivering the right skills for the the right regional economies. Would you necessarily set up probably the most expensive form of delivery, which is a multi-faculty university uh, and everything that comes along with it, from scratch today? No, I mean of course you wouldn't. But rowing that back now is incredibly difficult, and the amount of money, jobs, community involvement, student life, politics connected to you know obviously MPs uh, who want to protect their protect their university. Um, you know it's it's um, it's a can of worms. Now it's time for yes, but does it correlate? Here to set this week's questions. Sorry, here to set this week's correlation question is Wonky's associate editor David Kernahan. Welcome to Yes, but does it correlate? A podcast segment that hopes to be more than just indicative. This week we return to the thorny question of head of institution pay. Just what is it that determines the relative rates of pay for our well remunerated friends in the offices with the thick carpets? I plotted head of institution pay for 2017-18 against the increase in the level of institutional financial reserves between August 2016 and July 2018. I've excluded Oxford and Cambridge as outliers. Yes, but does it correlate? But also, bonus question, which HC provider that currently returns data to HESA does not have a head of institution? I don't think it does correlate, but if it does, it's definitely an example of Correlation is not causation because I imagine that growth in reserves between 2016 and 2018 is probably related to some other factors that probably make your head of institution likely to command a big salary. But I, you know, I, I don't think VCs in 2017-18 were given pay rises because they uh, substantially increased the level of reserves. I mean, I might be wrong, so I'm going to say no. <laughs> Um, oh, so it's a tough one. I did some research a while back, and I—I I mean, I think there's there are statistically significant relationships between things like 
HOIP and size and performance. But I, I've got to agree with David. I don't. Yeah, I think you know there might be there might be some kind of correlation, but I couldn't I couldn't possibly see why the sort of causal factors would mean that that was anything particularly interesting. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's <a> catch. <laughs> and the answer is no. R squared is 0.27, suggesting that any correlation is very, very weak. The plot shows the most recently reported reserve as the size of the dot. What's notable to me is the very small number of institutions that saw a decline in their reserve levels over this two-year period. I suspect preparation for uncertainty in the form of Olga and Brexit. And the bonus! The only current provider returning to HESA that does not have a head of institution is the University of Wales Central Functions. See you next time. And finally, Cambridge University rescinded a visiting fellowship offer to a psychology professor, Jordan Peterson, because he was pictured with a man wearing an anti-Islamic T-shirt. Mark, what happened here? Uh, well, this is one of these, um, you know, kind of a butterfly flaps its wings uh, and, you know, everyone uh, has a kind of collective breakdown um, um, kind of I don't know. It's got it's got everything. This one, it's got kind of snowflake students. It's got um, it's got the alt right. It's got Islam. It's got academic freedom. Um, Jordan Peterson uh, is a controversial alt right figure. Essentially, to cut a long story short, had a visiting fellowship um, cancelled at Cambridge as an unpaid two month position. Um, when it came to light, a photo of, of, of him came to light, um, standing next to someone. Um, wearing a t-shirt saying I'm I'm a proud Islamophobe. Um, so I've not read myself the the, the works of Jordan Peterson. I've, I've kind of been sort of he's on the periphery of my consciousness. Um, it's it's clear that he has a lot of uh, um, a lot of unsavoury followers, and it's clear that some of his views are incredibly um, unsavoury as well. Um, uh, and and of course um, it, it kind of. This 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 kind of touches uh, all of the kind of hot button issues right now. Um, the debate really in the sector is, is whether Cambridge was hasty in um, essentially kind of distancing it, itself from 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 Peterson, um, and whether this is a kind of um, uh, a kind of instance of, of kind of no platforming, or, or whether you know under kind of academic freedom and and the rest, Jordan Peterson has has every right to uh, teach and uh, lecture and and research and talk about the kind of things that he does, um, and that's a incredibly thorny, tricky, um, kind of hardy perennial. Um, and Jordan Peterson is just kind of the latest example of, uh, of 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 kind of this debate that we've been having now for quite a long time. I guess the the, the big difference is the huge amplification. Um, of these issues that happen when something like the Peterson incident um, goes viral, uh, and you know exposes the fact that I guess as a, as a sector we've 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 not got to grips with with how to handle these kind of situations. Rebecca, what do you make of this? Should offers be rescinded based on who you stand next to in pictures? <laughs> uh, I, well, I mean, I think you know I, I'm a massive fan of free speech. I think it's you know, important. Uh, fundamental right and it's incredibly important for our society but because of that I do worry I think when its usage can become diluted by assuming that every problem within higher education is solely a matter of free speech I mean for instance you know 7.5 billion people in the world um, you know, they don't all have to have offers to go to teach at Cambridge uh, you know, there's, there's a difference between <laughs> exactly. you know, private and public spaces whether something's about a student union or a college that said however I do think when something is rescinded like this, I think there should be a good open justification for doing it. Not least because I think universities have you know, sort of special obligations as largely public institutions. They're privileged in that they you know, receive taxpayer money. They have an educative nature. They have a special role to play. And I think, you know, I mean, I, 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 similarly, I'm afraid 
my awareness of the full corpus of Peterson's work is uh, is somewhat lacking. Um, but I mean, if, if it's genuinely the case that this has been rescinded because he because of a photograph of somebody he was standing next to, the sort of guilt by association, I find that deeply worrying, and this links into the platforming issue because you know how am I supposed to argue against my racist neighbour unless I go and talk to him? <laughs> if somebody takes a photo of me, then I just I just think this is. And sorry, I, I don't actually have a racist neighbour. Well, not that I, not that I know of. I'm good enough to talk to my neighbours uh, sufficiently to know. But you know what I mean? I mean, how do you possibly argue against the people who are saying the destructive things in society unless you talk to them? Uh, and that might mean that you might need to be in the same, you know, similar physical space to them. So I, I do find that I do find that extremely worrying. If that is the genuine reason, um, as opposed to some, you know, frustration with his with his work or something. I mean, you know, again, there, of course, there are legitimate reasons to rescind something. I would just want a proper, good, open justification for doing that. And a photograph, to me, that's atrocious. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Um, it, I mean, he's a psychologist, isn't he? I think um, again, not massively f- familiar, um, and, and so being, and he was planning to do a lecture on the on the Book of Exodus. Um, so, uh, you know, far far be it from me to question the academic judgment of the Faculty of Divinity at Cambridge University, but <laughs> I do query that, um, and that's what makes one suspect that the the picture that uh, Rebecca was referring to was not really the reason. I, I, I one. I'm guessing that someone or a group of people made an error here, um, an error, just an, a general error of judgment. Like it, it, it doesn't seem justified <laughs> on on academic grounds to me, at least, or to most people. Um, it doesn't seem justified on that, that anything would really be added to the Cambridge University community. But of course, then when you rescind what was probably a misguided and silly decision, then you look, um, you you have to come up with a pretense, and then you're open to this. Uh, criticism that you're sort of uh, restrictive, uh, you know, with regards to academic freedom. I mean, there, there, are, I think there's a whole litany of things that Peterson has been involved in, done and said that could, that you know, people at Cambridge and students will would and could object to. Um, that all might be fairly reasonable reasons actually for him not to be made this offer in the first place. Critically, um, he, you know, he he's, he doesn't have a right to a visiting fellowship at Cambridge, and 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 if he does, then can I can I drop the Faculty of Divinity at Cambridge line, <laughs> and I'll give my thoughts on the Book of Exodus, which I'm sure are probably about as informed as Jordan Peterson's. Yeah. David, you're actually quite. An, you're in an interesting position on this podcast because you could genuinely be in the position where you would have to advise uh, a vice chancellor on this issue. So it could be you have a, a visiting uh, professor at the University of Greenwich, and then he's been offered, or, or she has been offered, a position in one of your faculties. You find a picture online of them where uh, stood next to someone with an incredibly offensive T-shirt. You know, you're in the vice chancellor's ear. What do you say? Um. That's a really interesting question, Rachel. Um, I think actually, well, to, to, I will, something I didn't say. I was going to say that I think uh, S- Stephen Toop, the uh, VC at Cambridge's statement on this, wasn't was quite good actually. Um, and he said, you know, as a university, we value and will defend academic freedom, but at the same time, we have to balance that against a consideration to uh, be a tolerant and inclusive environment, and that those. Those two things are difficult to balance, and we we have to make a decision. I thought that was quite a good statement. Um, I guess I, I think the first thing you want to sh- make sure is that uh, you know due process I- is followed and can kind of cover you a bit on this. That would be my first instinct. But um, yeah, when it comes to I, I imagine that the damn it, it's it's arguably the right decision made the wrong way <laughs> because I can't see 
how you know the decision to offer him this is really justified um and perhaps ultimately if that's going to that's going to cause you a bit of embarrassment a bit of pr difficulty in the short term my my advice perhaps to a vc would be would be that that's still the right way to go um and you just have to kind of suck up the inevitable um vitriol and diatribes that will come your way no doubt from you know an internet uh, fan base of a controversial uh, academic so that you just got to suck that up really I think so that is about it for this week remember to delve deeper into anything we've discussed today you'll find the links in the show notes and don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast automatically just search for The Wonky Show via iTunes or your favourite Android podcast directory or you can find a feed that you need on wonky.com forward slash podcast and if you fancy appearing as a guest on The Wonky Show do drop us an email on team at wonky.com and we will be in touch so thanks to david and to rebecca and to mark and everyone at team wonky for making it happen and until next week stay divine tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.